The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we bring you a new episode for Monday, February 27, 2023. We're almost to March already, folks. In this calendar year, as always, February always goes quick because it's the shortest month. But alas, we are in spring training. We are seeing spring training action. And it is finally time here at Sox Machine for the podcast. And we begin our position previews for the upcoming season. In this episode, we will be previewing the Chicago White Sox outfielder, taking a look at each of the starters the projected starters, also taking a look at the depth as well for the Chicago White Sox and what this position group what they need to work on during spring training and what we're going to be paying attention to early in the season to determine just how successful this unit is at the end of the year. And it has a chance to be a pretty successful unit for the Chicago White Sox. But first, Jim, we have spring training games to talk about. And it was great to have our first watch party of the calendar year with our friends from the 108 on playback for the first spring training game. Uh, I know you had a duck out early but you missed the highlights mm-hmm. of the first spring training game. And I can't believe that an infield pop-up dropped like Gordon Beckham all those years ago running into Addison Reed. And then it happened again in the second game. Yes. Like, what is going That's my biggest takeaway. What is going on with this play? Yeah, I... I regret having left early, went to teach curling, so I had to skip out the ninth inning, so I missed it. But then, like, the White Sox thought maybe I did not have MLB TV and couldn't go see a replay, so they did it for me again <laughs> live. You know, a, a stirring reenactment of the whole thing. And what struck me is that Jake Berger was the first baseman on both plays. Brian Ramos was the third baseman on both plays. But Jake Berger, like, going back to his escapades at second base, which, you know, I think we can officially close the door on that now that the shift is banned and uh, two infielders have to be on each side. So Jake Berger will not be 
a second baseman anymore. But like the thing that struck me about Berger watching him when he played in Nashville was like pop-ups gave him problems. And it was like pop-ups going back behind first base in front of the right fielder in that triangle area. Like he struggled with them twice, uh, uh, you know, came up short on them or didn't back up or was afraid of being called off. And now we're seeing the same thing. Like, uh, I don't know if this was a problem for him at third base. And we didn't know, like, I know like Joe Creedy, I remember like he, you know, the, the talk was that he had some depth perception issues, which prevented him from playing the outfield. So like, uh, you know, it was a case where he had to be a third baseman. And I don't know if that's something I just, you know, vaguely remembered and turns out wasn't a thing. Uh, I don't remember that being a problem with him, but just, it, it came up like, you know, once or twice, I think, and it just stuck in my brain. And I don't know if there's any way to check it now because the internet has forgotten some things from that era. But uh, with Berger, like I remember those pop-ups being a problem then like two in a row now, like him showing up late to the uh, to the triangle or actually like the, the square because in both cases, like the pitcher wandered into the, uh, well into the play, like the pitcher did not get out of the way. The pitcher did not direct traffic, just kind of loped in thinking he might catch it, but was expecting me called off, but didn't really do anything to make it easier. So yeah, I just remember Jose Abreu's voice being very loud and declarative on such plays, mm-hmm. uh, basically like, ah, 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 like you'd hear him coming in from, you know, before you saw him, you'd hear him coming in ah, 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 and, uh, we did not hear that sound. And I think, you know, that's the first evidence I've seen of Jose Abreu being missed is that that play, you know, perhaps Andrew Vaughn will make it, but unfortunately Jake Berger, who's probably the third stringer, uh, maybe fourth stringer at first base right now was involved both times and made a mess of it. Yeah. The first two games, the other takeaway is that overall the defense is not looking good. Now, a lot of the innings have been played by the backups. The problem is this is the Chicago white Sox, and the backups play more than you really want them to play in the upcoming season mm-hmm. with the injury health. Like Jake Marisnik booted a ball in the corner And that shocked me because that's why he's here. He's here because of his defensive ability. I know mostly at center field, but he booted that ball in the left field corner. And that's disappointing because it's like, my dude, you're 31 years old. If you are a defensive liability in spring training, you better go on Zillow and start looking at apartments (laughs) in Charlotte. Like your fate is sealed. If you don't improve Adam Engel in Baltimore. Exactly. And Carlos Perez Jim, man, I don't know if he's a catcher. He he could be a good hitter. He's shown to be a good hitter in AAA. But I am thinking that Rick Hahn needs to go to the free agent wire and maybe sign some veteran catchers that don't have a job right now just to make anyone feel better about a third catcher behind Sebi Zavala and Yasmani Grandal. And with Grandal's knees, you know that Perez is going to get some time or whoever that third catcher is. And again, it's incredibly early. It's just two games, but this is not a good first impression. Carlos Perez and Jake Marisnik and Jake Berger, first baseman. They have some work to do. Now, the good news is there's many weeks left to go in spring training to improve. But with Pedro Grafal setting the tone for this spring training, we're going to work on fundamentals, Jim. We're going to do Mm -hmm. the little things. We're going to try to practice as close to game speed as possible. After two games, you got more errors than runs scored. That's not good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think he he said that he wanted to see mistakes. Well, you got him. I think the, yeah, the White Sox (laughs) took him too literally. Like, (laughs) 
you know, not in that way, just in terms of like, he's not going to, you know, I, I, my interpretation of that comments, cause he made that before the first game. So it wasn't a case where they made mistakes. And then he tried to spin it in a positive way. This was a case where he was trying to be these first games explaining what he was going to see. And he just like, he welcomed basically any outcome because he can learn from any outcome. And if there are mistakes, uh, then it's easier to go over things that you know, might feel rote and unnecessary for professionals. And sure enough, I can imagine, you know, and I think, uh, I saw footage of, mm -hmm. um, you know, basically throwing pop-ups behind home plate. I think they were for, more for the catcher, like you know, the catcher just working on discarding his mask and following uh, balls behind the plate. But really, I think they need to um, work on the whole who's got it when it comes to third first and uh, where the pitcher should be. Like the pitcher should be like checking with the rosin bag, apparently, because, uh, you know, I've never understood that, like why pitchers can't call off, you know, uh, infielders for plays in front of the mound because they're already there. They don't have to negotiate the mound like going backwards. Uh, so I've never really understood why they're not to be trusted on those plays. Like if they have to try to navigate the wind uh, when they haven't come to a game, it's one thing. But like on those flares right in front of the mound where like the corner infielders might not get there, I don't understand why they can't call for it themselves. You know, it just it's one of those things where, you know, conventional wisdom, I, I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah. If pitchers aren't going to be able to make the play, then they just have to scram. The good news, Gavin Sheets at the first home run of spring training, and he had mm -hmm. some good at-bats in the first game. Jake Berger has a home run already in spring training. Oscar Colas picked up a couple of hits in game two uh, during his spring training Yohan career. Yohan Makata, a couple yeah, walks. Yeah, Yohan Makata had a couple of walks, demonstrated a good batter's eye, something to pay attention to. Again, I want to see how Makata fares when pitches are in the strike zone but he's already demonstrating a good batter's eye at the beginning of spring training. There is some good news. It's not all doom and gloom after the first two games for the White Sox, but it, it, they focus so much on the fundamentals, and already you got a blooper reel cooking <laughs> for spring training. Mm -hmm. Let's limit that, okay? It's it's one thing that the double-A guys are making some mistakes. They're nervous. There's some pressure on them. They want to make a good impression on the coaching staff, so they're thought of if there's any injuries later in the season and they play well down in the minor leagues. But let's, uh, for the guys that are right now in quadruple A type of level that are competing for spots of the 26 man roster, let's elevate our defensive play. Let's do that at least. If you're not going to hit, at least play better defense. That's. That's really all I ask. And uh, the White Sox have a full slate of spring training games coming up. And I think we're going to see more of the starters this week uh, as the guys that are going to be participating in the World Baseball Classic Gym uh, will be leaving on Thursday. I know that uh, Yohan Makata and uh, Luis Robert Jr. will be leaving the White Sox on Thursday. And then shortly after, you're going to have everybody else that will need to join their teams for the World Baseball Classic. So, Fingers crossed that the starters, if we get like a full starter slate, that defensively, at the very least, they look a lot better than what we've seen from the past two games. Yeah, it's it's a case where like, you know, Brian Ramos, you know, trying to call off guys who are his senior, you know, those things happen. Um, Oscar Colas, you know, you can add him to the mistake list because he played a double into a triple. But, you know, I can understand like he thought the ball was going to 
probably cling off the side, angled sidewall and go back into shallow right field. So he was hesitant to overcommit to the corner, but uh, David Dahl was running hard and took an extra base on him. So there are some mistakes that are young player mistakes, rookie mistakes, uh, Oscar Colas first big league camp type mistakes. But yeah, hopefully, you know, with these guys being absent, they'll get more reps. And then by the time they come back from the World Baseball Classic, you have hopefully a an oiled machine, not even well oiled, just I, I would take oiled. Yeah, there's kind of a level of expectation so far, and it's just not from the White Sox training camp, but across all training camps of Major League Baseball, managers are expecting the players participating in the World Baseball Classic to be ready by for like for opening day. You're going to be playing incredibly competitive games, a lot's riding on the line, especially for your respective countries, so more pressure situations that you're facing spring training, thus... After you experience that, you should be more prepared than you would be participating in like split squad type of games. Uh, we'll see if that uh, actually holds true. But a lot of these youngsters are going to get more playing time during spring training. And again, hopefully defensively, they do pick it up a little bit. I know that will be a focal point for Pedro Grafal and the coaching staff after the, the first couple of days. It is funny that you bring that up that... Pedro Grafal wanted mistakes to be made during spring training so they could address them, coach through them, and improve so they don't see these types of mistakes of the regular season. And uh, maybe instead of the tennis racket or the tennis ball to flip the mask off and catch it behind home plate, they just need to work on catching them in front of home plate. <laughs> exactly. Get more guys involved. I think, you know, when it's when when one person has a task they can probably do it. When it's three people trying to decide who should do it, uh, mistakes are made. Yes. Communication. Someone's got to call for it. But Jim and I are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to start our 2023 position previews, and we'll be previewing the Chicago White Sox outfield next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, it's time to kick off our 2023 position previews. And we're going to be starting with the Chicago White Sox outfield. And we talked about this a lot in 2022 and just some of the outfield configurations due to injury that we saw, especially late in the season. If you recall, there were some games where we saw Andrew Vaughn in left field, A.J. Pollock in center field, and Gavin Sheets in right field. Not exactly a great defensive alignment by any stretch of the imagination. And hopefully for the White Sox, they will not have to run into that situation again going to the 2023 season. They signed Andrew Benatendi to the largest contract in franchise history for the White Sox. And Luis Robert, hopefully he has a goal of playing in more games this year and putting together his first complete season since his shortened 2020 rookie campaign. Oscar Colas is around. Aloy Jimenez may get some playing time in the outfield. And we'll take a look at the other depth pieces as well. So let's start with the new guy, Jim. We'll start in left field and move over to center field and right field uh, for those that are following along, listening on the podcast. And uh, let's start with Andrew Benatendi. So for Andrew Benatendi going into the 2023 season, uh, Zips is projecting 137 games, 14 home runs, 70 RBIs. Depth charts on fan graphs, very similar numbers. When you're looking at the slash line and you're looking at the war, this is a potential for the White Sox adding a two and a half war to three war type of outfielder to the roster. And when it comes to Ben Attendee, again, even though it sounds a little silly, especially now knowing that Manny Machado has signed a new contract with the San Diego Padres uh, and bringing that Mm-hmm. Opening up that wound again for White Sox fans. But with Ben Attendee setting the largest free agent signing in franchise history, can Ben Attendee live up to the hype in 2023? Yeah, I'm amazed by how little hype there is to the signing. Like when it happened, it was big news. But now, like when it comes to the first day of free uh, first day of spring training, like the the biggest free agent signing in franchise history doesn't seem like much of a story, the way that like Bryce Harper at, you know, Phillies camp or Machado at Padres camp in those years, like he's just kind of another guy, like a well-paid guy, but you know, it's still all about Robert and Jimenez and Anderson and Benintendi is just more or less a good player. And when you look at those projections, um, 14 homers, 70 RBIs, 274 uh, batting average, 420 slugging, three wins. It, to me, it looks like Melky Cabrera with defense. Like, that's kind of what you're looking at. Is <laughs> Melky Cabrera put up those numbers. Like, you think he topped out at 15 homers. Like, he was more likely to hit 300 than Benintendi. But otherwise, like, the, you know, Benintendi had a little more patience. Power about the same. Melky just really wasn't an outfielder, especially, like, after age 26 or so. Like, he he kind of uh, filled out, you could say, and, uh, and lost his range. But... Like Ben and me, like that's kind of what I'm thinking is like Melky Cabrera, who, you know, can do more than make catches on the warning track, which is really Cabrera's only strength. And he had a decent arm as well. But uh, even if like Ben and not a gold glover and he's won one in the past, like should be fine. So like, I think the expectations are appropriate. It's just that the tag of largest free agent contract in franchise history is really just, I think everybody recognizes for what it is because like the White Sox were going to offer the same contract to Torrey Hunter in 2007. And, you know, 
you look at it, uh, you know, 15 years later, basically, because uh, that was the off season of 2007, 2008. And, uh, you know, that's the same contract. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. again, as a reminder, in 2022, Andrew Benatendi hit 304 with a 373 on base percentage and slugged 399 with just five home runs and 51 RBIs. And Benatendi spoke to that, that with the dead ball and playing at Kauffman Stadium, he adjusted the way that he attacked pitchers. He was looking to be more line drives, more batting average centric, getting singles and doubles. He knew he just did not have the pop to be able to hit many home runs at Kauffman Stadium. And he was hoping when he got traded to the Yankees, he could take advantage of the short porch at Yankee Stadium. But alas, he got hurt early in September and he missed the rest of the season. And now here he is at Chicago. And when he signed with the White Sox, he he knew very well just how hitter friendly, especially for lefties, guarantee rate field could be. So when it comes to the one thing that Andrew Benintendi needs to approve upon in 2023, is it as simple as taking advantage of guarantee rate field and pulling the ball in the air? Or is there something else that you're going to be paying attention to, Jim, from Andrew Benintendi? No, I think that's that's largely it. You nailed it. Just White Sox have needed left-handed power to take advantage of that jet stream going out to the Miller Light landing. I always want to call it the Goose Island because that was way better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just you know, we've watched so many hitters do that. We saw Gavin Sheets take uh, special advantage of that uh, with his heavy home road splits. So it's there, and as Sheets has uh, you know shown, you don't need like to crush the ball out that way. Like you can just sneak a lot of homers into the craft cave, basically. So, no, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, the ability to tailor his swing, uh, you know, tweak the batted ball results to be more oriented towards pulling the ball because like, yeah, just the, the, the power alleys at guaranteed right field and everything besides the right field corner, like the, the, the very most corner of right field at guaranteed right field is a lot more forgiving for a hitter with okay power, but not necessarily 20, 25 homers type stuff. And I mentioned the zips projections and the depth chart projections as well for fan graphs have been attendee at 14 home runs. Is that enough? For this White Sox lineup for Ben Attendee to settle at 14, I think he's got the potential to hit more than 14 home runs. But let's say the zips and depth charts projections are correct, Jim, but it's just 14 home runs for Ben Attendee in 2023. Is that enough for the White Sox? I think it can be. I think that brings the rest of his production into play. And like if he took his, uh, you know, Kauffman Stadium, his Royals output, you know, basically like 300 ish hitter and you know, gave him 14 homers instead of five, I think it would be enough. But if you're looking at a guy like who's going to hit 250 and then, you know, he's, you know, that's going to be the case where like the slugging percentage is going to struggle to get over 400 that way. Like, yeah, then that's not enough. So I think it's, you know, if you're talking 14 homers plus the well-rounded hitting approach, singles, doubles, walks uh, to get on base, especially if he's hitting second in front of the heart of the order, that should be fine. Um, not great, but fine. And that kind of goes along with his contract being, you know, not greats, but fine. I mean, if he hit 305 and he provided 14 home runs, batting second behind Tim Anderson and plays more than 140 games, I mean, we're talking about a three and a half war left fielder for the White Sox. Like that in itself would be a pretty big shot in the arm for the overall talent level for the Chicago White Sox compared to what we've seen the last couple of years in left field. 
Yeah. And if he gets to like 20, 25 homers, then, you know, the shape of his game is such that the rest of the numbers can take a little bit of hits and, you know, he'll be okay. So really there, there's about finding a balance. And if he wants to hit 20, 25 homers and bat 300, you know, so much the better. But, uh, you know, trying to keep expectations in check here because, a lot of this, given that he played in Fenway Park, which does not really reward left-handed hitters who pull the ball, especially like the further away you get from the pesky pole. And then you go to Kauffman Stadium, which has deep alleys as well. Like, you know, it's just a case where like he hasn't been able to, you know, pull the ball in the air that to the extent that he can be rewarded. So he has shown the ability to adjust his results based on where he's playing. But I don't want to, I would rather have him, you know, base, yeah, base my expectations on what he's shown, adjust a little bit for the environment. But otherwise, like, you know, if he hits 20, 25 uh, because of the you know, heavy home splits, like, great. But that seems unreasonable, especially given just the White Sox issues, keeping guys in the field. You have the health issues, too, to where, like, yeah, 140 games would be fine. Uh, you know, anything beyond that, great. I would say anything below 15 homers, you know, give or take a couple would be disappointing. If he can't get double digits, yeah, that's that's not what they needed. But 15 sounds okay. Like, you know, Melky Cabrera with defense. So let's play the over-under game for each of the outfielders, and we'll do this for all the players for the upcoming 2023 season. For Andrew Benatendi, I'm setting it at three war. Are you taking the over on three war for Ben Attendee under, or I'm going to allow you to push here and say, Josh, you hit the number right on the head. He's going to finish at three war for 2023. How are you feeling for Ben Attendee at three war? Is it a universal over under, or can it be like, can he crack three in one, like baseball reference or fan graphs? Let's use fan graphs for this. We'll use fan graphs war for this. Okay. Well, I would just say like, I would say, I'm going to say over um, just because we're picking one. Like I would say like if he had to like go across the board, be a three win player, I would say no, just because I think some of his valuation will be based on defense. And I can see just, you know, uh, some an unimpressive metric bringing his value down because he's just not killing it uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But if we're going to take one, I think he can just because I think, you know, I'm going to trust his ability to, to take some advantage of guaranteed right field. And I, I, I think he's closer to like three and a half, four, uh, you know, early on, you know, given a full workload. The question to me is just whether that was enough, you know, whether the White Sox did enough to, you know, whether they needed a difference maker. I don't think he's a difference maker um, unless other guys play well. Whereas like, you know, um, I was hoping at some point over the last couple of years, the White Sox would have added somebody who could make it so that Luis Roberts, uh, Aloy Jimenez, and Tim Anderson wouldn't all have to hit in order to for the White Sox to reach 90 wins. So that's kind of where I'm thinking is like, I think he can do okay for himself. It's just, will it be enough to lift, you know, cover for other positions? I'm, I'm skeptical in that regard. Oh, did you have an over-under on that? Oh yes, I should probably make a guess. You yes. know what? I'll be I'll be confident here. I'm gonna say over. We've both been on the Andrew Benatendi train since the signing, and uh, he was actually the big free agent sign when we did the free agent guesses uh, for the White Sox that I had. So I will say over. I, I like three and a half WAR for Benatendi this year, and three WAR seems to be like the difference maker, like the threshold between teams that make it to the postseason. And teams that don't. 
Like you want to have like like six to nine position players be three war or better. And obviously there's a huge range, right? Like the Yankees, like Aaron Judge is Ted War. Uh, Glaber <laughs> Torres is three war. That's a gigantic difference in overall production. But it's all about the depth of quality that teams have. And you take a look at the Houston Astros in 2022, not just even three war, but the amount of players that they had above two war for the position player side uh, was really crazy. They were just getting excellent value up and down their entire lineup. So I think Andrew Benatendi could be a three and a half war left fielder for the White Sox. And again, I think that's a big shot in the arm for the overall talent level for this ball club. So I'm going to definitely take the over on three war for Andrew Benatendi. And for those playing along, you can also play along in the comments section at Sox machine or hit us up on Twitter at Sox machine, or you get hit me up at Twitter at Sox machine underscore Josh. All right. So let's move over to center field. You made mention of Luis Robert. It is Luis Robert Jr. now as he's added the junior to the uniform. So I'll try to do my best, everyone, to call him Luis Robert Jr., Robert Jr., the oh. best of my abilities. If not, we can do the the tip jar again. Well, I think in this case, like Cal Ripken Jr., like on secondary reference, like people called him Ripken. It wasn't always Ripken Jr. Okay. So, like, I think it's a case where, yeah, first reference, uh, but then I think the junior... Like even like Griffey, you know, Griffey Jr., you know, that kind of falls away upon second reference, saying it over and over again. So I think we can give ourselves some forgiveness there. But yeah, when it comes to um, at least first reference. All right. The juniors there. So for Luis Robert last year in 2022, 284 batting average. That's pretty good. 319 on base percentage. We know he's not big into walks. A 426 leggy percentage. We know about the injuries the various injuries that he had in 2022, just 12 home runs and 56 RBIs because of the amount of games that he's missed. And he was a 2.1 war player for the White Sox and didn't even play a hundred games. Luis Robert is now entering his fourth season in the major leagues that he's never played more than a hundred games in a season. And that is something that I noticed in the spring training stories, Jim, for Luis Robert coming into camp that he is aware of that he's had good seasons for the White Sox, but they're just good. And he knows that he can mm -hmm. do better. And I love that type of mindset because I don't, I think everyone associated with the White Sox, all White Sox fans and media know just how special of a talent Luis Robert is. And when you look at the depth chart projections for 2023 on fan graphs, I mean, this slash line's very healthy 277, a 323 on base percentage, slugging 466. 24 home runs, 87 RBIs if he plays 136 games with a 4.2 war. I don't think you'll find any argument from White Sox fans that if Luis Robert can play more than 135 games, yes, he could hit all of these projections on Fangraph's step charts. But the main storyline is can he do it? Can he put together mm -hmm. a full season? Where is your confidence level right now in Luis Robert putting together his first official full 162 game season. I'm going to say it's kind of low, unfortunately, like I'm, I'm looking at his injury log and it's just so it's a mix of like recurring injuries and, or, you know, kind of weak points in his ability to stay on the field. And then some weird stuff too, like the hand and wrist injuries come up again and again. Like when you look at his minor league profile, his major league profile, especially the end of the season, letting go of the bat with the wrong hand and, you know, I don't think, you know, the Tony La Russa administration did so many players, uh, 
wrong, or at least like so, so few favors to players when it came to just like, you know, Tim Anderson playing with a groin issue and looking like Alcides Escobar, Larry Garcia collapsing in the batter's box because of like his legs and back, uh, Luis Robert letting go with the wrong, like it just, what were they, you know, I have no idea what they were doing. And that's, I think one of the issues with like the, the fan satisfaction or dissatisfaction we, we talked about before, uh, just with like, you know, there was never a thorough accounting for everything that went wrong and why it went wrong. So like until, you know, either the White Sox have to explain in sufficient detail why their injury reporting was so messed up or they just need to actually play a full healthy season. So I think like that's the reason why, like I'm a little bit down when it comes to the injury cases across the board, like the guys who have trouble staying in the field. Like, I guess I need them to show me like, you know, here's a case where Rick Hahn saying, you know, trust is earned in the field. And when it comes to staying on the field, uh, it absolutely is. So, but yeah, you have the hand issues, wrist issues, uh, illnesses, COVID. He had the vertigo thing. He had groin and hip issues. Like it's kind of all over the place. So yeah, I don't really trust him to stay healthy. And that's why, like when he talked about like a big additions, like I was big into Brandon Nemo because he could cover center. You may maybe don't want him there all the time, but if he had a slide in there, you could rotate him in and out the way like you can't do with Ben Intendi. And, and that's why I thought like, I uh, just need somebody who can stand in center uh, with some confidence if Robert's out. I don't know if they did that. You know, Oscar Colas theoretically played there, but if, you know, Colas is struggling to stay in right field or just struggling to, you know, hang in the majors, like, do you really want to add center field to his list? Do you want to have to have a center a right field gap of Oscar Colas and Aloy Jimenez playing their weaker positions. Like that's when it gets messy. So yeah, that's, I think, you know, what I consider to maybe be the weak point in this roster. Yeah. When we talk about backbreaking injuries for the white Sox, I feel like Luis Robert is a backbreaking injury. If he has another serious injury where he misses a month or God forbid more than a month of the season, the White Sox just don't have the depth at center field to come anywhere close to the type of production that Luis Robert can provide. And it's just not coming close to his production level. It's sweating for every fly ball that's hit into center field. Like maybe you feel confident about Billy Hamilton to patrol center field, but Billy Hamilton's going to provide nothing offensively. And that's just the way it's been for his entire major league career. Maybe he has a renaissance in 2023, and that would be a, a nice surprise. And you could take advantage of his speed, but... And we talked about Jake Marisnik. He's already struggling in spring training in center field. Nobody wants to see Lurie Garcia out in center field. I don't think Andrew Benatendi would be a good center fielder for the White Sox, especially when it comes to arm strength. The options are incredibly limited at center field for the White Sox. So... I definitely think that Luis Robert is one of those back-breaking injuries. So when we talk about things that he has to improve upon in 2023, I think it really is all about health for Luis Robert. Like, you need to figure out in your fourth year in the major leagues how to stay on the field. You, he did a pretty good job of that in 2020's rookie year. He played 55 of the 60 mm -hmm. games. But that's just a 60-game season. This is a 162-game marathon we're dangerously getting to the point that if you can't do it in your fourth year, will you ever be able to do it? And that's not a question I really want to answer. Yeah. Flash forwarding a year from now, Jim, I would love if Luis Robert played 140 games 
put it all together for his first healthy season, that would make me feel a lot better about someone that I'm very high about on the Chicago White Sox roster. If he can't do it again, then I'm going to get like the Sunday scaries when it comes to, to Luis Robert and his future with the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, you get like a little bit of like the, um, well, Byron Buxton now, right. Grady Sizemore before, like in terms of like, oh, oh yeah. just never could stay on the field. Like, you know, just uh, everybody, like baseball fans are disappointed because like that was a fun guy to watch. And maybe he didn't like watching Grady Sizemore at his best playing the White Sox and the same thing in Byron Buxton. But just, you know, baseball fans want to see a talent like that come together. And it's always a shame when it doesn't. But yeah, like all the quibbles we have about Robert, like settling for right field too much, you know, being a little bit too aggressive, his range number or like his outfield numbers are pretty poor last year in center field. And I think part of that was vertical. Part of that was uh, the hip issues as well. Like, you know, kind of the year before uh, hampering his like burst and his uh, conviction on routes. So like, you know, the gold glove form hasn't been there either, but it all comes back to health and just like, whether it's having his body in shape and, and not having any restrictions on it to go full speed after fly balls in the gap and not, you know, round, uh, you know, round balls off to prevent them from getting, you know, into the alley and giving up a single when you could have, you know, uh, giving up a, a single when you're afraid of a double versus like, you know, robbing that single because you have that kind of that closing speed to make a play. And like when it comes to figuring out how pitchers are attacking him, like he just, it's been hard for him to stay on the field with his body cooperating to make those proper adjustments uh, the way we've seen him make it at times and, and be a force. So yeah, everything comes back to health with him. Moving to our over under again, all about health. I set the number at 104 and a half games for Luis Robert. So he can't play half a game. Uh, that's not how this works. So you, now you have to pick over or under Jim. So how are you feeling about 104 and a half games for Luis Robert? Are you taking the over or under? I'm going to say the under just because I don't want to be hurt again. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, I'm not convinced on that, but just like if at the end of the year, he plays 80 games, like you'd say, of course he did. Whereas like if he played 130, so like, all right, that's progress. And so like, I'm just going with the, you know, what he's shown and hoping that uh, Pedro Griffal and better communication and Jeff had being added to the training staff, even if, you know, the, the Reds injury numbers are pretty awful themselves last year. Just, you know, there's a, a different uh, process for navigating uh injuries and, and managing them when players are not close to a hundred percent, but also like on the verge of being playable. I will be optimistic and say he does it, that this could be a pretty special year for Luis Robert. Uh, listen, if the white Sox are win the American league central, they need Luis Robert to play 140 games. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say he finally figures it out that this is the year that he does stay on the field and he lives up to all of our dreams and expectations we've had ever since he signed with the White Sox out of Cuba. So I will be optimistic here and I will take the over for Luis Robert at 104 and a half games. I'll say he plays 140 games and fingers crossed that those 22 games that he doesn't play with my optimism doesn't does it turn into a hellscape <laughs> in center field. Like it'd be great if he could play more than 150 games. And I'm sure he would love to play every single day because again, the white Sox 
This is an area that they're lacking right now is quality center field depth behind Luis Robert. We'll get into that point in a moment, but we've done left field. We've done center field. Let's shift over to right field. And for Sox Machine here, I think it's fair to say we are projecting that Oscar Colas will be the primary right fielder for the Chicago White Sox. Now, when I say that, what I mean, listeners, is that I believe that he'll have the most projected starts in right field for the Chicago White Sox. Will he be the opening day right fielder for the White Sox? Time will tell. But I think, Jim, it's fair to say that we both agree he will have the most starts projection-wise in right field for the White Sox. I think it's fair to say. Just a matter of whether that's uh, 130 games or 100 games or even 60. Like, 60 games could win the right field spot, the coveted right field spot on the baseball reference uh, team page after the season. Like, you know, when you, whenever you see those weird numbers, like the the DH was Larry Garcia. It's like, yeah, because, you know, seven other guys got hurt. I guess it is Larry. So it's I can see that same, being the same thing with Colos here. And here's hoping it's, you know, it's going to be with him. Like if he plays 130 games, that means he's playing well. Like his talent will dictate the games played, I think, more than anybody else in this roster, just because like, uh, the White Sox have to be prepared to, you know, mitigate his weaknesses, whether it's like, you know, having a right-handed outfielder to compliment him or having like, you know, Jimenez out there, you know, more frequently uh, with Gavin Sheets being a backup DH. Like there are ways to manage him and hide him against tougher pitchers. And so like if he's playing 130, 140 games, that has to mean it's going pretty well. A reminder, last year, Oscar Colas had a really impressive minor league stint across three levels, but primarily in double A and triple A in 2022, where for the season across those levels, Oscar Colas hit 314 with a 371 on base percentage, select 524. He had 23 home runs in the minors last year with 79 RBIs. For his 2023 projections, using the depth charts fan graphs projections, depth charts is projected at 246 hitter, a 294 on base percentage, slugging 416 with 18 homers and 62 RBIs with a 0.8 war. If you use Zips, Zips is thinking 21 home runs, 77 RBIs, so that's quite the difference from depth charts. Uh, a 691 OPS, so still not great, and a 1.2 war from Zips going into 2023. And I think the big storyline and we, we've talked about the confidence level. We've talked about this a couple times during the off season. Now we're here in spring training and we're previewing is Oscar class ready to take over right field for the white Sox, not just in the short term, but the long term. How are you feeling right now, Jim, about long term Oscar Colas being the white Sox answer in right field? I feel okay about him in the long term. It's just that the short term is so important. Like this is such a high leverage year for all of these question marks, Robert's health, um, you know, Ben and being able to click immediately with the white Sox. you know, Aloy Jimenez, we'll get to him, but just like all these questions like have to be answered in the affirmative, or at least most of these questions have to be answered in the affirmative, you know, basically as quickly as possible just to, you know, uh, cover up for the weak depth elsewhere, whether it's, you know, starting pitching rotation or Liam Hendricks being out or infield being a little bit of a, a mystery between, you know, Anderson's health and Moncada's just 
general well-being. So like it's a case where, yeah, uh, the short term is just like it, it's a, you know, magic eight ball situation to me, like ask again later, just because for the short term to figure out like what kind of instant impact he can have in April and May, like I think it watching him in spring training is going to be a weeks long project um, just to understand like. He's going to have terrible at bats. Like he's going to have awful looking at bats. Just a question of like, can he isolate them to a day at a time? You know, maybe he has like an ugly 0 for 4, 3 strikeouts, only sees, uh, you know, 11 pitches. Like that could very well be a games like that. Just more of a matter of like, can he brush it off? Can he like, can he correct himself fast enough to be under control sooner rather than later? That's a question I'm monitoring right now. I don't really have an answer or a sense that isn't just like a, a random guess that I could have to correct myself on later and feel kind of foolish about. What would give me instant confidence is that if Oscar Colas can display good discipline within the strike zone and he draws walks early at, let's say, a 7 or 8% rate, which is not crazy high. And the reason it would give me instant confidence is, one, he's recognizing the pitches early from major leaguers and that will help him survive at least the first month. Some rookies thrive in the first month because pitchers don't have a great book on them. They challenge, they challenge these rookies and suddenly they hit like eight home runs or 10 home runs in their first month. Like Jose Abreu, when he won rookie of the year, he had 10 home runs in the month of April uh, for the Chicago white Sox and finished with more than 30 just because pitchers didn't know how to attack Jose Abreu early and he made them pay because everybody thought, oh, this guy can't hit a fastball and voila, Jose Abreu could hit a fastball his rookie year. And I think the league in itself is just smarter now. So they are throwing more breaking pitches. If Colas can recognize that, lay off those breaking pitches and he's got an on-base percentage higher than 320, that will give me instant confidence because these computer models, Jim, zips, depth charts, they're not seeing a hitter in his rookie year having an on-base percentage above 300. And that's going to lead to some struggles. That's going to lead to some, not just ugly games, some ugly weeks during the season. And that is to be expected. He is a rookie. This is a jump. But for the White Sox, mm -hmm. they are confident that they can win the American League Central. Internally, they're confident that they could still challenge to win the American League pennant and make it to the World Series. I don't share that same confidence with them. But if they're gonna make if they're gonna make that, if they're gonna hit their mm -hmm. internal goals, they really need Oscar Colas to hit the ground running. And I think a good thing, a good way to look at it early on is the on-base percentage. If Colas is drawing walks early to go with his ability to survive and maybe get some singles and doubles and home run power comes later in the season, then I think that he's adjusted well to the league and then he can make another adjustment and start hitting for power. Yeah, I think in his rookie year, I would take a 300 OBP with power, like just, and, and I say 300 OBP because like, we don't know how the ball is going to play. True. Like we don't, like, that's what's so tough about like talking about these numbers, like in just in isolation is we like, it could be a case where like the ball is dead again and 300 with like, you know, uh, an ISO closer to 200 than 100, like plays really well in this environment, especially like if he's elevating the ball enough when he makes contact. So just, uh, yeah, 
isolating his production to one number, I think is a little bit fraught when it comes to trying to figure it out. But like, I would take 300, I would take like a five, 6% walk rates just because like we have seen some wild swings early. I can see some um, really over anxious plate appearances early, you know, the kind of three pitch strikeouts be like, Oh, what was that all about? So that's why I think like, you know, it's going to be really tough to watch him at times and it's going to be a big picture type project uh, getting him through the season just because the White Sox have really no credible backup. Like that's one thing that kind of drives me nuts about this outfield discussion is like Benintendi's fine. It's just Benintendi didn't change the bigger outfield questions of what happens in center, what happens in right, which are bigger than what happens in left because uh, like we've seen the White Sox fake left field okay in previous years, even if Andrew Vaughn couldn't quite do it himself. The over-under for Oscar Colas, I've said it, at 20 and a half home runs hit for Oscar Colas at his rookie year. Are you taking the over or under 20 and a half home runs, Jim? I'm taking the under, but I had to think about it a while. I think I just, if he hit like, say, 23, 24 homers, I would be pleasantly surprised. Uh, I don't think he can't do it. Just more a matter of like, oh, that'd be a good season. And, you know, I don't want, you know, should he come up short uh, of that? And should I'm, I'm thinking like kind of 16, 17, especially if they had have to manage his playing time, if they have to send him down. You know, it's more a matter of just like, can he hit the game's played mark? And I have questions that he will one way or another just because um, they have other guys who can step in and take some of the playing time if need be. It's not going to be great watching them, but they can. Like if Luis Roberts healthy, you might be able to get by with some Aloy Jimenez. You might be able to get by with a little bit of Gavin Sheets. Like, you know, there, there are some guys who can fill in those plate appearances if Colas like looks vulnerable routinely against, you know, major league pitchers or good lefties, what have you. So I think I would take 15 from him with decent numbers elsewhere across the board. And, you know, clearly the best right field defense of the bunch, you know, allowing for the rookie mistake here and there. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. The number that I have in my head is 23 home runs from Oscar Colas. Do I have a good scientific backing for my <laughs> prediction of 23 home runs for Oscar Colas? Mm-hmm. No, but that's what I envision Oscar Colas this upcoming year. So I will take the over. So, so far I'm three yeah. overs right now on the outfield. So you can't say that I'm negative. I'm pretty optimistic <laughs> right now when it comes to the White Sox outfielder. So let's talk yeah. about well, the other option. Well, with, uh, with Colas there real quick, like I can understand like 23 just because the conversation we're having about Andrew Benintendi, it's kind of the same thing. Like what about Benintendi, but with power and Colas has mm-hmm. plus power. So, I mean, like the same conversations we're having about a guy who we were hoping can hit 15 to 20 apply to a guy who has 20 homer power. If he can get the barrel in the right place often enough on the right pitches, which is really the bigger concern. So I get the optimism. I just, you know, for me, it's more a matter of like the white Sox shouldn't have put him in a place where they need him to hit 20, 25 homers because like he's a rookie and he's had a very unusual professional background given, you know, going to Japan and having the, uh, the absence of, of, uh, you know, the pandemic and then transferring over to the United States defecting like, you know, that he's had a lot in his plate. And so if it took him a year to have some, you know, some serious lumps, but then he gets around to fixing it, like that'd be perfectly fine individually. It just happens to come at a terrible time for the team. So let's talk about the other option in right field for the Chicago White Sox, whether you like it or not, White Sox fans, Aloy Jimenez and Aloy last year 
when he did play for the White Sox, offensively, very strong. Maybe the best season that he's put together when you look at slash line and you look at weighted runs created plus on fan graphs. Aloy Jimenez was a 295 hitter last year, a 358 on base percentage, and he slugged 500 with 16 home runs and 54 RBIs. He was worth 1.7 wins above replacement. When you look at his 2023 projections, so on one side of the coin, you've got Zips. And Zips thinks that Aloy is going to be an 808 OPS hitter. That's pretty good. But just 23 home runs and 71 RBIs in 110 games. Then you have Fangraph's depth charts, which I have displayed for those that are watching at youtube.com slash machine. And depth charts is thinking Aloy is going to be a 270 hitter with a 325 on base percentage, looking at 487 with 31 home runs and 96 RBIs and a 2.6 war player. Now, obviously, White Sox fans would prefer the depth charts projection for Aloy Jimenez, and that might coincide with the thinking of what Aloy can do, especially since we saw him hit 30-plus home runs his rookie year with the Chicago White Sox and getting back to that type of mode. And I think that Aloy could go back and be a 30 home run hitter. Mm -hmm. The White Sox really need him to be. This isn't a, we would want him to be. No, sorry, Aloy. You have to be the 30 home run guy because you're the one that's got the most home run power in this lineup. So the main storyline for Aloy Jimenez coming to 2023, Jim, is this the year we just had this conversation with Luis Robert. Mm-hmm. But is this the year that Aloy Jimenez becomes a hitter we all thought he could be when the White Sox acquired him from the Chicago Cubs in a trade? Yeah, it, it's funny. The fan graphs numbers and the, or the zips and then the depth chart numbers. Like basically like the zips is something happened to him. and The depth chart is nothing happened to him. Like uh, those are the ex- expectations. And like you do have to bake in that something could happen to Jimenez. And here's a case where like, I have a little bit more optimism about him staying on the field than Robert just because, and, and this could be just a little bit arbitrary and sure. <laughs> like, uh, you know, this is me just kind of going off gut feeling here because health is the hardest thing to project, but just, you know, he's had weird injuries. You know, he hasn't had like the chronic injury, you know, that, that Luis Robert has like the, the hand wrist thing, the, the sliding thing, like, I appreciate that he's lost the weight, that he's coming looking trimmer, like he's taking the outfield thing seriously and he's taking like the uh, Rick Hans comments that like he produced a DH, he should be fine there, like taking it personally. And he should because like he's not slow. He's not fast, but he's not slow. Like his foot speed, his top speed is like fine, Uh, especially like when his legs are, you know, fully healthy and he's made some tough catches. It's just a matter of like, you know, the reads are, are... often questionable and and his faith in those reads forces him to have slower breaks or uh, more cautious lines. And that allows, uh, you know, balls to fall where maybe they shouldn't. So like, it is a kind of a case where like he has created these expectations by being like the class clown in the outfield and like, you know, the bobblehead with Luis Robert calling him off on balls in his jurisdiction and like, ha ha, you know, Aloy can't be trusted in left field. Like, He's played into that. So I I do find it refreshing that he realizes like, oh, that may have not been a good career move early on to like indulge those things. Like you can be like, uh, I think a 
a funny guy and like he's a gifted I would call him like a gifted face actor like he's very expressive and you know can communicate to the camera uh, without saying a word and and that's fun to see and it's good to have those guys in the dugout but I think when it comes to like outfield play like it's one thing when like uh, Adrian Beltre and Elvis Andrews do it because both of them are gold glove defenders at their peak where they were when they were at Texas and it's like oh they're bickering over uh, they're messing around with each other because they're so good that they can do it with Robert and Jimenez, it was like, oh, Robert's messing around with Jimenez or, you know, Jimenez is messing around because he can't do the job and Robert has to, you know, clean up the mess for him. And like, yeah, like it's, it's something that maybe, you know, was okay when they were winning, but you know, when things took a turn, uh, it's one of those things you can add to the pile and say like, this is one of the things wrong with the White Sox. You know, Jimenez is wrong with the White Sox. He may not be a bad fit in the roster. Uh, the Sox machine podcast thinks they should trade him for Brian Reynolds, etc. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I'm appreciating him like making those outward efforts, uh, with his comments, with his, with the shape that he's in to take the right field challenge seriously. And I think Pedro Grifal is handling so far, handling well so far saying like, we, I may have to tell him something he doesn't want to hear, but I'm letting him, I'm giving him an opportunity to change my mind. And I think that's kind of where you have to be, especially if Colossus needs a caddy. So I like how he's come into spring training and I'm hoping that that translates to, you know, 140 plus games because like the form he showed after coming back was fine. And I think, you know, watching that bouncer go through the infield uh, in the first game of Cactus League play, and I, I wrote about it at Sox Machine, comparing it to a similar grounder he hit last year. Like he's a guy who his exit velocity is strong enough to where like the shift or the absence of it, uh, absence of three left field out infielders on the left side of the infield could benefit him uniquely to where we're talking about like five, 10 extra hits a year, just because like his uh, top spin hoppers get through if uh, there isn't a third infielder there. So that's another reason why I'm strangely optimistic about him when maybe, you know, kind of some tendencies in his career have made me think that, uh, you know, I should temper them just as much as I do with Robert. He's motivated. As you mentioned, Jim, Loy Jimenez is very motivated coming to the spring training that he wants to prove not just the outside critics, but also the internal critics that he can play in the outfield. And with him losing all that weight, especially around the waist, I mean, he does look slimmer. The one thing that I'm curious about is that if it's going to allow him to fire off his hips quicker, because we talked about this when the White Sox in the podcast episode, the White Sox have a fastball problem. Aloy Jimenez was one of those hitters for the White Sox that really struggled against velocity, especially from right-handed pitchers in 2022, despite the great numbers that he put up. If you threw a fastball in the zone at 95 or greater, you could give Aloy Jimenez fits because his swing is long, incredibly powerful, but it's not a very quick swing. With the weight loss, if he's able to fire off the hips quicker, if that generates more barrel speed through the zone, a lot has been written across Major League Baseball now. That's the new hitting fad, capturing barrel speed for hitters. The Dodgers are really focusing on barrel speed this year. That if those pitches don't give Aloy Jimenez fits, then yeah, he could have the monster season we've been dreaming about where... He's hitting more than 40 home runs, and maybe he can challenge Albert Bell's franchise record of 49 home runs just because of the absolute power that he has. But he's got to hit the ball in the air. Mm -hmm. Ball in air 
Aloy, your ground ball rate cannot start with the five. Yep. Okay. As in 50% or better. I think he's got to cut his ground ball rate seven to 10%. If he can do that, if he's like at 43% or lower with just how successful his home run per fly ball rate is in his career, then yeah, he's easily going to hit more than 30 home runs. He's just, he's got to hit the ball in the air and that's going to be something I'm going to be paying attention to. Is there something else that you're going to be paying attention to for Aloy Jimenez for this upcoming year? No, I think, you know, that's one of them, but it kind of going back to the Robert discussion, just health, you know, him being able to stay on the field the full year, like understanding what, you know, shortcomings or flaws of his as a hitter or as a defender are due to just mechanics to his uh, approach, understanding like how pitchers are attacking him and whether he can adjust, you know, compensate with the swing to get the barrel where it needs to be. Or is it a case where just like, he's just not healthy enough to ultimately like, you know, he's playing at 80% a lot of the time and just, he needs to be at like 90 to hundred percent in order for him to be like that monster hitter. So yeah, I, I just want to know like, who the real Jimenez is uh, health wise. And then, you know, allow him to have the, you know, weeks on weeks off uh, just as, you know, pitchers are probably still learning them too. And so like they might see something new uh, because of, you know, maybe a swing tweak is made stance tweak. Uh, you know, the, the hips thing that you mentioned, like if, if those are functioning for him better, like maybe that opens up a, uh, a new cold zone for him that he has to adjust to um, mm. because like he's just now he's attacking one way. And so, you know, there might be something that opens up that he has to cover, but like, I just want to see him have those, you know, uh, have the ability and have his body cooperate to where he can, you know, have the normal weeks of hot and cold and ultimately adjusting to where you do have this uh, above average, you know, hitter who merits serious all-star consideration by the break. So over under for Aloy Jimenez, I've said at 30 and a half games played in the outfield for Aloy Jimenez in the 2023 season. Jim, are you taking over or under? I'm going to say over because there are so many ways it can happen. Um, that, that's kind of the thing. Like when it comes to just like sheer, Ability, like sure, like you wouldn't want to see him necessarily out there for 30 games. But between Colos, between like if Benintendi gets hurt or has to miss some time, like there are just too many avenues for like a physically capable Jimenez to get that playing time because like you don't want Gavin Sheets out there if you don't have to. You don't want Andrew Vaughn out there at all. So, you know, what else do you have? So that's why I say over and I think fairly comfortably. Oh wow. I'm gonna say over slightly. I'm thinking like 10 games in left field, 25 games in right field. So 35 games in the outfield for Aloy Hammond as a 2023. And I think that's an okay amount. I mean, he's he's playing yeah. in the outfield, vast majority as a DH for these games for the White Sox. But he's getting an opportunity maybe once a week to go out there in the outfield. If it's more than that, either he's excelling in the outfield for the White Sox or Andrew Benatendi has a serious injury. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be like, I'm thinking more like 50, uh, okay. you know, 50 to 60. And I think part of it, like he might be looking a bit better. Also, like just Colas might need more help. 
especially okay. early in the season to get through weeks because uh, you can have Gavin Sheets be left-handed power at the DH spots. You can have like, you know, whether it's Colas, whether it's uh, Jake Berger, if he's on the bench uh, as a power bat, like you can have Sheets and Berger divvy up the DH time and Jimenez would be the one providing the main cover in right field if he looks um, capable of standing in right field for a game at a time. Like there could be a lot of those games at a time early. Before we wrap up, the outfield preview. Let's talk about the White Sox outfield depth. And I list four outfielders here. I've got Billy Hamilton. I got Victor Reyes. I got Gavin Sheets. And I got Jake Marisnik. For Gavin Sheets' season preview, I'm going to put him over at first base. And when we preview the infield corners, first base and third base together, we'll talk about Gavin Sheets' projections for the upcoming season. But he could be part of the outfield mix for the White Sox in 2023. But this is what I'm talking about when it comes to outfield depth, that you really do not want mm-hmm. any of these guys that we talked about before having a severe injury because Ben Attendee, Robert, Jimenez, we know that they could be really good hitters in the majors. We are very hopeful in Oscar Colas. These four, I mean, Gavin Sheets hits well at home, but he does not hit well away from Guarantee Rayfield. Jake Marisnik has never hit. Billy Hamilton has it hit for the second half of his career. He has trouble getting on base. And Victor Reyes was cut by Detroit. So out of these four, who do you think could be part of the mix of maybe making a 26-man roster as like either the fourth or fifth outfielder for the White Sox if they have to pick one of these four? It feels like Marisnik is Adam Angle, who, you know, we didn't have a history with like, you know, angle. We saw him progress. We saw him grow as a player. There were reasons to like him. And then like, it was unfortunate when his game fell apart, uh, just because we saw him on the cusp of like being a good or average, uh, center fielder, which should be incredible given where he came from and how much work he had to do in the minor leagues to get there. And just, he had some opportunities to, to stick and just, to, he couldn't quite do it. And Marisnik, like same thing, right-handed can play center has some like gold glove type stretches of defense in his past, but now he's on the other side of 30 and just might be hanging on, but I kind of like him early just because you know what you're going to get, you know, you know, not to ask too much from him. Billy Hamilton, like feels like to me, I don't want to, I kind of, you know, I liked having him around 2021. I did not like seeing him come back in 2023 just because I liked him so much in 2021. And I don't want a reason to dislike him. Like I, you know, it was so perfect. It was so, it was such a sweet time on, on, you know, his experience, what he provided the, you know, all the hits were a bonus and, and some of the hits were awesome. Uh, some of the plays in, in the field were awesome smile an 80 smile, like great having him around, especially like, you know, as one of the many pleasant surprises fit right in. But as somebody like, uh, you know, I guess Hamilton has to go out there. Like, I, I feel like he's going to be played in those circumstances where like, Oh yeah, he's playing again and he has to, Oh no. Like, and that's kind of like why I didn't want to see him come back and kind of tarnish. Uh, it wouldn't tarnish 2021, but it'd just be like, I liked what I remember of Billy Hamilton. I don't really want to see a case where like he has to try to prop up a team that is really struggling to fill innings in center field. That's, that's where I'm, I'm getting a little nervous. Um, one guy you didn't mention and, and I'll bring up is Romy Gonzalez just because like, if he's anything 
like the White Sox have described him being in 2023, which I'm skeptical about. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I thought part of it was because like, they're just waiting for Elvis Andrews to like, be like, no, we can get you for cheaper. We can get you for cheaper. Rowan Gonzalez really good. Three million. Bam. Really, yeah. Andrews is our second baseman. Ha ha. Ro- yeah. We're just kidding all along. Uh, enjoy Charlotte. But no, like even after they signed him, like they're still talking him up and saying like Larry Garcia might be the one who has to earn his keep. So I'm still really intrigued by what Gonzalez is going to do. And if he's like anything, like a player Garcia used to be in terms of like, yeah, he's fine. Like, you know, one win bench player, maybe two wins and uh, fills in credibly at a bunch of positions. You don't want him starting for a week at a time in any position, but you don't mind seeing him out there. Like, I think he could be out there in a corner spot. Center field, I think he would be stretched, but like in a corner spot, sure. Um, those are the kind of three guys I have right now. And if like, uh, if they are able to get that Swiss Army knife back, whether it's you know Garcia or Gonzalez on the bench, I think it does open up a possibility for Hamilton to get in just because he would be there for speed, defense, pinch running with larger bases. Like there might be a specific use for him and he doesn't have to do all the hard work of holding down a lineup spot. But I think if they do need more help, like right-handed help for Colas. I think Mariznick is probably the best fit unless like we're watching him mm. and he completely looks washed. I, I like Billy Hamilton more than Jake Mariznick. When, yeah. when making a 26 man roster as your 26 guy, very specialized role, pinch running late in games. I think it could scare, you know, with the limits on throwing over to first base it could mess with the minds of relievers late in games when you see Billy Hamilton on base, kind of like Gerard Dyson would for White Sox relievers back in the day. Yeah. Face of the Royals. So I I could see that possibility. How likely it is, we'll have to see how the rest of spring training plays out. But I think really your four main outfielders are Benatendi, Robert, Colas, with Jimenez getting some time. And it's kind of weird to think of Aloy Jimenez as the guy who gets the fourth most outfield appearances. Technically, that would make him the fourth outfielder for the White Sox. (laughs) And what we're now talking about is the fifth outfielder. But really, we're hoping that the fifth outfielder becomes the fourth outfielder as a defensive replacement late in games, not Aloy Jimenez defensive replacement, unless he shocks the world and he suddenly becomes a really good defensive outfield. We feeling pretty good about this unit coming into the season, Jim? Uh, not really, but more just because of questions when it comes to just availability. Like, that's really it. I mean, like, the talent itself, I like. I like watching all these guys at their best. Or, like, in, in Colossus' case, when I've seen him, you know, at his best in Birmingham, a lot to like there. There's a lot to like about all these guys. Just more a matter of, I really wish they had, like, that they made you brought in that yeah I would say going back to Brandon Nemo like that guy who can cover for two spots instead of just hold down his own spot really well if they stay healthy which is like the phrase of 2023 Mm -hmm. I think this could be a 10 war plus outfield unit for the Chicago White Sox Ben Attendee and Robert probably carry most of that load when it comes to wins above replacement I think there's potential here that this could be a sneaky good outfield unit in the major leagues, especially offensively. I'll give you that. Sneaky good is a good way to put it. But they need to stay healthy. Yes. It gets ugly in a hurry. Like that's what that's what keeps me from being enthusiastic is like one you know, if Robert goes down, what do they do? 
Yeah, I I don't know what they do. We we just talked through it, folks. Uh, pray. I I don't. I I really <laughs> don't know what you do if Luis Robert goes down early. Let's let's hope that doesn't happen. Punch a hole through the nearest wooden object that you have <laughs> for luck <laughs> that everyone stays healthy for the outfield unit for the upcoming 2023 season. But that is our 2023 season preview for the Chicago White Sox outfield. Love to hear your guys' feedback and thoughts about the outfield unit. Again, you can post your comments on the podcast page on SoxMachine.com or hit us up on Twitter at SoxMachine. You can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe and listen to wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We take the recorded, so we also upload them to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash SoxMachine. Continue to subscribe, everyone. We got 1,040 subscribers now. And uh, when we post new videos, like our playback highlights from our watch parties, uh, make sure you subscribe so you get notified of all the new videos that we post on our YouTube channel. Again, you can subscribe at youtube.com slash machine. If you enjoy our work and would like more, sign up to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. When we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Big shout out to Dan Stevens for joining our Veterans Committee. Dan, thank you so much for doing that. We still have seven spots available of the Veterans Committee. Uh, so if you are interested to be part of the Sox Machine inner circle, uh, you can reach out to Jim and I. Yeah, we're getting great correspondence, too. Like, uh, a few of our members are down there at Camelback Ranch at, uh, you know, in the Greater Cactus League overall, providing, you know, firsthand uh, observations, uh, photos, uh, learn that Jake Berger's Homer, uh, I guess, drilled a kid. <laughs> just, uh, you know, which is, you know, unfortunate, but just like, that's how I found out was through our, our uh, group chat going on. So uh, a lot of valuable information and, and vibe checks uh, at Camelback Ranch and elsewhere. So... Uh, I'm loving what I'm seeing so far from the VC when it comes to uh, our chat going on. Yep, absolutely. And again, we have monthly plans also starting at $2. You can save with an annual subscription. You can sign up at patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're all for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.